Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There it is. What, did you guys get everything you wanted for Christmas this year? <laughs> it's always good to have something to look forward to next year, even if you did get a lot. Professional golfer, Webb Simpson. Some of you golf fans know that name. He won the 2012 U.S. Open. He shares recently some reflections on Christmas, which he was asked to do for a new book endorsement that's coming out. Says Simpson, when I was young, as Christmas came along, all I thought about was what gifts I might get. As I got older, I dreamed of receiving things that couldn't go under the tree, things like winning the U.S. Open. That became, in my mind, the greatest gift the game could ever give me. And in 2012, it did give me the gift and that tremendous honor to go along with it. Webb goes on to say that however great that golfing achievement was, nevertheless, there was and there is something greater still, something that comes only with Christmas, something that came, comes only from the first Christmas. He continues, that first Christmas was truly all about Jesus. In him, I found a sense of fulfillment and peace that no number of major golf championships could ever bring me. Knowing him means I can celebrate success better, and I can also go through defeat better because I can hold both in their proper place. I know they are not ultimate, and I know now what is. Nice insights from that golfer. But doesn't that testimony that he offers here remind you a little bit of somebody else in the Bible? St. Paul would talk like that at times, if he felt it necessary, though Paul wasn't trying to show off, mind you, or anything like that. Nevertheless, Paul must have considered it one of those necessary times when he talked to the Philippians in that way. Quote, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And here's the key part. Paul goes on. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. From Philippians 3. Well, like the song says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now that song isn't a Christmas song, mind you, but there are plenty of those still in season right now. We've sang a few of them, and we could cite or sing here as well others that describe Christ's surpassing greatness. Take your pick. The particular one we just sang a few moments ago, Of the Father's Love Begotten, that one doesn't quite go back all the way to the very first Christmas, but it gets remarkably close. Written by Aurelius Clemens Prudentius, 
Get this, this poet was born in the year 348 AD. And the church is still singing his hymn today, these 17 centuries later. And may the church continue to sing that hymn evermore and evermore. So nice, hardly gets any better than that. But okay, there are plenty that could at least tie it. Indulge me for one more, please. And we'll sing this little musical gem in just a little bit in our service coming up. Quote, his infant body now begins the cross to feel those precious drops of blood that flow for death the victim seal. Great words. And those lines come from the hymn entitled The Ancient Law Departs. And it's very apropos because today we commemorate the circumcision and the naming of Jesus. Those drops of blood from the infant Christ child at his circumcision, they foreshadow the greater drops of blood that the praying Jesus will sweat out in his agony in Gethsemane. And still later, the blood will flow again in his innocent suffering and death on Calvary's cross for our redemption. In his incarnation at Christmas, Jesus took on our flesh and blood in in order to offer them both up in our place on Golgotha's hill, an acceptable sacrifice to our holy God and righteous judge. The righteous for the unrighteous, as Peter describes us, that Christ may bring us to God. Maybe you caught that reference that the apostle Paul mentioned in the earlier quote we used from him. Paul said he was circumcised the eighth day. Now the eighth day in biblical numerology is pregnant with meaning. The number eight symbolizes a new creation. Seven days are in the old creation. The number eight symbolizes a new start, a do-over, if you will, as um, Noah and his family, who were eight in number in the ark, as they show us as well. The world through them and through water gets a new start. Incidentally, in the new covenant that Jesus inaugurates in his own blood, holy baptism supplants circumcision, and that's why a typical baptismal font is fashioned with eight sides, an octagon pointing to the new creation in Christ that you became, or for those who have not been baptized yet, will become at your baptism. Now, our our, uh, baptismal font, I can see right here, Uh, This one here piece suffers from what I call octagonal envy, Uh, having only half of all those sides, four sides in total. So that may be something to think about for any possible future upgrades before the new pastor gets here. It's just a thought, as we don't want those that we baptize here to only be half as holy as the other churches could get them. That's definitely a joke, definitely. Well, today is the eighth day of Christmas. So that means as baby Jesus was born eight days ago, according to the liturgical calendar, the time is right for an infant Jewish male from a good Jewish family to get named and circumcised per the covenantal sign and the divinely given practice first administered to Father Abraham thousands of years ago, B.C., Another amazing, uh, amazing practice that has lasted through the eons of time. 
Now for the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, the naming was especially easy with their firstborn, as the angel Gabriel had already given them the child to name nine months earlier in his Annunciation visit. Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, from Matthew chapter 1. The name Jesus, or Joshua, Yeshua in Hebrew, has a beautiful meaning. It means Yahweh saves. Yahweh being that very name of God that he himself reveals to Moses from the burning bush at Mount Sinai. Regarding that special name of Jesus, St. Paul writes again to the Philippians, after Jesus humbled himself even unto death on a cross, God therefore exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2. It is in that name God saves and by that name Jesus whom all hail the power of, right, that you brothers and sisters in Christ have been baptized. And in that name and through that baptism God adopts you now and calls you his own. You are his dear son. You are his dear daughter. And that's an amazing blessing to never lose sight of. The church father, Athanasius of Alexandria, put it this way. He, Jesus, became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Let that define your identity. God's own child, right? I gladly say it. And yes, by the way, that is the same Athanasius who is the namesake for that once-a-year lengthy Athanasian Creed we recite on Trinity Sundays. So we have here in January a brief Athanasius sighting six months early. <laughs> and speaking of the Trinity, the Apostle Paul seems to invoke the whole Trinity as he labors to explain to his Galatian audience all the rich blessings that are ours in Christ because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's in Galatians 4. So we sinners today can call our holy God, our righteous God, and judge Daddy. We can call God Daddy. And this is just like what Luther talks about in the small catechism in regard to the Our Father. With these opening words, our Father, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear children ask their dear Father. These are all gracious gifts that just fall out, overflow to us from that first Christmas and the incarnation of the Christ child. Born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians says, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And we do. We do receive adoption to sonship, even as the ancient law departs. It's the ancient law that was for everyone. So unobtainable, it departs. Why? Because Jesus has come. 
and he fully and perfectly fulfilled all the ancient law. So now, not by law, but by faith in the only one who kept the law for you, that is, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, says Paul from our epistle lesson today. Christ is your righteousness. There isn't any better righteousness than that in the entire universe, and it is yours by faith. So what wonderful Christmas gifts are yours in Christ then? First, the Christ child himself, who grows up to obey the law that we are constantly falling short of obeying on account of our own sin. Secondly, you are given the gift of faith, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means, yes, you are also given the Holy Spirit in your life, the very abiding presence of God himself. And you better believe that if you have already been given the gift of God's very presence, then there will be to follow even more fruits of that spirit, more than just faith. And I'm talking about some of those things that Paul mentions to the Galatians a little bit later on in chapter 5. There you'll read about more fruits of the spirit being produced in your life. Fruits such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the like. And we all could do with a bit more of these sweet fruits in our lives, right? But there's another gift mentioned there in chapter 5, which is also implicit in today's reading from chapter 3. And I'm talking about the gift of freedom. Freedom, Christian liberty. Verse 23 from our lesson, it says, Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until faith would be revealed. The law was our guardian, our schoolmaster, until Christ came, the blessed and most worthy object of our faith. So why is Paul rehearsing this jailhouse history, so to speak, under the law in his letter to the Galatian church, which he had planted? Well, the short answer is because their freedom is in jeopardy. Their freedom is on dangerous territory. Having known this freedom in Christ, they're about to lose it, and Paul knows it. In chapter 1, you can pick up the serious tone in Paul's voice. He says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Anathema. Paul repeats that last curse part one more time, so you know he means business. The historic situation that was going on there was that that uh, what some people call the Judaizers, who were supposedly in tight with the apostles back in Jerusalem. They decide to stop in on the Galatian church at a time when Paul has already moved on. And they started to undercut Paul's authority as someone who didn't know the Lord face-to-face in person during his earthly ministry. They're doing this to Paul's own church plant. And even worse than that, they're undercutting the gospel. 
the gospel by telling these Gentile Galatians that they had to essentially first become Jews to include getting circumcised, and then they had to start keeping Jewish dietary and ceremonial laws if they wanted to be true Christians. And the Galatian church was buying it. They were buying everything the Judaizers were selling. Apparently these heretics could be quite persuasive because they also managed to pull both Barnabas and Peter away from eating with those Galatian Gentiles. So the Judaizers definitely had some success in causing others to stumble with their heretical doctrine. But not Paul. Paul doubled down on the true gospel of grace, grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. Christ who fulfilled the ceremonial law, nullifying it as a requirement in the kingdom of God. Now the kosher and ceremonial laws have been reduced to mere preference. There was no longer any spiritual superiority attached to adhering to them. And there never really was any superiority, spiritually speaking, to it, uh, even though it was required to keep the ceremonial law. Well, Paul doubles down again against these factions also with the proper use of the law as the backdrop, that is, the law is showing where we're all equally sinful before God. All, therefore, are in need of Christ's forgiveness. So Paul then goes on to remind the Galatians of their unity in the Spirit. So in Christ Jesus, says Paul, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Apostle Paul, for not caving to the Judaizers. Let's remember, we too have put on Christ. God sees you as wearing Christ's robe of perfect righteousness this morning. That righteousness alone is what gives you access to all the rest of God's gifts. So when we, we today, for example, come together to receive God's gifts at the Lord's table, let's keep in mind, there we are not Republican, Democrat, um, Dodger fan, Angel fan. Well, maybe angels, but in a different sense. We are not a golfer versus a pickleballer. We are all God's sons and daughters, partaking of the same body and blood assumed by our common elder brother, Yeshua, Jesus, the greatest Christmas gift ever. Merry Christmas and a happy new year in Christ. Amen.